0: Somewhere in the world a plot's revealed, a man resigns, a nation reels. Somewhere in the world a story breaks for the Australian. That's an ad for the Australian newspaper from the 1980s. A lot has changed since then, and since the paper was first published in 1964. But one thing hasn't changed.
1: Ever since the editorial manifesto that Rupert Murdoch put on the paper on day one, Our purpose has been to advocate for the growth and prosperity of Australia.
0: That's Nicholas Gray. He's been CEO of The Australian since 2013. Under his leadership, the paper has launched new products, experimented with new technology like the Apple Watch, and grown its digital subscribers to over 80,000. The Australian has also been named Newspaper of the Year at the 2016 Pamper Awards. I'm Lachlan Bennett and this week on Press Play, I chat to Mr. Gray about the Australian's strategy surrounding digital subscriptions.
1: Even though we might give away a few page views by locking content, we actually find that that helps the yields of our advertising.
0: What it means for the Australian's brand when the newspaper itself becomes a news story, like with the Bill Leak cartoon last year.
1: You know, frankly, probably attract some readers and dissuade a couple of others.
0: And I'll also chat to the journalist leading the Australian's new Washington bureau. All well, presidents
2: Trump is clashing in a far more overt and aggressive way.
0: This is Press Play, the podcast that explores the big issues and trends in the news media industry. Press Play is brought to you by Industry Body News Media Works. Head to newsmediaworks.com.au to check out the latest industry news, videos and a range of tools and resources for media and marketing professionals. In this day and age, newspapers have to contend with fragmenting audiences, changing news consumption habits, and a sea of new competitors both locally and abroad. To kick off our conversation with Mr. Gray, I asked him how the Australian remains relevant at a time when the idea of a mass media is changing.
1: The challenge for the Australian and for all um, sort of original sources of journalism is getting a commercial return on the news that you gather. Um, you know, we've seen a plethora of examples recently where we've broken a story and it's, um, it's, it goes viral very quickly. Um, you know, Shari Markson broke the story about Malcolm Turnbull kicking in um, an extra million bucks to the Libs re-election coffers. That, according to Isentia, that story had 1,400 retransmissions on radio and on television within 24 hours, all based off our story. So clearly we're not going to earn a return for every single one of those broadcasts. But as long as The Australian keeps being known as the place that is going to break those kinds of stories, we're confident that our audience will continue to return to us in numbers, um, and that some of those people, not all of them, but some will pay, As it happens, we've never had more people paying for us. And we believe that's because of the stories that we continue to break and our influential opinion and analysis.
0: The Australian has had a lot of success with digital subscriptions. You're up to about uh, 80,000 at the moment. That's right. Yeah. Um, Is there a lot of growth left in this market for you?
1: I hope so. I think so. Um, You know, we we had zero five years ago. Our our digital subscriptions have just turned five. we're continuing to grow them, even after five years at double-digit rates, and that's despite the the price having gone from zero to three to four to six to eight dollars a week. Um, I believe this market will continue to evolve rapidly. There are two and a half million people um, in Australia paying for um, streaming uh, streaming television with Netflix. Dan and Presto, that was zero two years ago. So the paid content market will continue to evolve rapidly. We hope and expect that the number of paid digital um, members that we have will, will continue to grow strongly, but we're not complacent about it, because in order to persuade someone to pay for something where a lot of, there's a lot of free news, you have to deliver um, excellence both in terms of the quality of the content, but also the surrounding experience. And we're continuing to to seek to improve our offering to drive that growth.
0: And with the Australian pursuing a a strong digital subscription model, um, where does that leave the strategic balance between that and advertising? I think about
1: it in terms of four main buckets. There's consumer revenue from print and digital and advertising revenue from print and digital. The trend for the Australian has been... Our consumer revenue has grown faster than our advertising revenue and i think that will continue so we will pursue a very um, strong paid content focus obviously with our newspaper but also online and we'll continue to lock the majority of our content but actually advertisers find our paying audience very attractive so even though we might give away a few page views by locking content we actually find that that helps the yields of our advertising um, and the attractiveness of our our audience and brand to to marketers. So, um, so we'll certainly pursue a strategy uh, along both lines um, uh, across print and digital.
0: And in pursuing more subscribers, would you consider um, unlocking more articles and shifting to a more freemium model?
1: No, we've found that the more we lock, the the better we do. Consumers are savvy. If a if a piece of content is free and they don't need to pay for it, they won't. But, but when there's something they need to know and it's behind uh, a, a paywall, that, that is the, the, the point at which they're willing to pay. So we will, um, you know, we will keep explaining to our um, existing and target audiences that our content is valuable and therefore it, it comes at a cost whatever form you consume it in. Now,
0: broadly speaking, the Australian has a, a right-wing political point of view. To what extent is that a contributor to its success?
1: I'm not sure I've ever sort of used the term right-wing or heard it used around the place. It's more issue by issue. What does the Australian believe? And um, whether that's with respect to matters of the economy, to policy, to refugees, whatever the issue is, it's more about the editorial line for that um, on that issue that, that matters to the Australian. Clearly, there's a general uh, our editorial positions are more aligned with, if you like, a centre right world view. But but the Australian takes a view on things issue by issue rather than having a preordained political leaning. And and you know throughout history we've we've supported politicians on both sides and. Um, we'll continue to do that on, on the basis of merit.
0: How influential do you think the media is today, uh, given the results we've seen for Brexit uh, and also the uh, election of Donald Trump as president?
1: I think it's changing very rapidly. And um, there are more places in which you can get news than ever before. So, um, you know, there's there's a plethora of digital websites. There's all sorts of cable networks, there's social media, so there are effectively more sources of news, but there are actually fewer people reporting and gathering facts in detail on the ground than there were, and there's a lot more places that are taking someone else's copy and, and republishing it as their own. Um, so the, the news landscape is evolving rapidly and continued to evolve. You can argue that you know an influential paper like the New York Times, completely missed the Trump result and therefore has less influence than they used to. Equally, you could argue that Fox News' extensive coverage of Trump's rallies every day was a massive amplifier, and so I think there are swings and roundabouts there, but I think the, the media and journalists have as critical a role as ever in reporting what's going on and making sure that that news is disseminated.
0: Coming up on Press Play, The Australian Goes to Washington and what Donald Trump means for press freedom.
2: The situation has been set for a very, very fiery time between uh, Trump and the media.
0: The election of US President Donald Trump was one of the biggest news stories of 2016 and his presidency is likely to dominate headlines in 2017. The Australian has responded by reopening its Washington Bureau, a move that will provide its readers with on-the-ground coverage of American politics. To
2: be able to say, well, look, this is how the US deals with the issue, uh, and, you know, this is how it compares with the way Australia's dealing with it. I mean, you don't get that sort of service, if you like, from International Wires or the Wall Street Journal.
0: That's Cameron Stewart, who is heading up the Australian's Washington Bureau. I asked Mr Stewart, what value does that operation provide the Australian, especially at a time when it's so easy to access international news?
2: The value of that is you you can go out and try and explain things um, through Australian eyes if you like. For example, just before the last election, I I went over to cover the last three weeks of the the recent presidential election. And in doing that, I went to the uh, Russellville towns in Pennsylvania, uh, talked to um, Trump's and in doing that, um, got a really interesting and fresh insight into exactly what was motivating them and the anger in those towns and the, sort of, uh, the lack of trust in the system. And in writing that, uh, that sort of thing, I can, I can put it into an Australian context, and I think that's quite valuable for readers to have here in Australia.
0: So could you talk just a little bit about the biggest issues and stories happening in Washington that are of interest to the Australian's readers and perhaps some parallels I guess between what is going on between the two countries? Well, I think it's, it's, it's obviously a fascinating time in American politics. There's a whole range of interesting things we're seeing
2: at the moment. I mean, obviously, this is just the transition period with Trump coming in, uh, but already he's he's made it clear that uh, he will be treating international relations uh, almost like a business. He'll be doing uh, using you know business philosophies and transactions to try to actually, uh, you know, creates momentum in international relations. And that's a, a really unusual position for an incoming president to take. And it's a very relevant one for Australia in the sense of, you know, we've got to ask the question, well, how is that going to work with China? That's with Australia's biggest trading partner. Um, how is that sort of approach going to work um, with the South China Sea, which is probably Australia's most uh, you know, uncomfortable strategic dilemma, but the, the, the tension between the US and China? Uh, we're also seeing so much stuff, of course, with Russia, um, how is that going to play out? And so, I think, and there's a lot of trade issues uh, that involve Australia. That you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership looks like it's it's dead now. Well, what's going to replace that? How is Trump going to deal with trade issues with the issue of free trade? Um, and also, how is he going to deal with the issue of the Australian alliance? I mean, you know, is he going to demote it? Is he going to promote it? I mean, we, we really don't know. That's really just a a black hole at the moment as far as um, any any discussion of the alliance from the American side. So, look, I think all of these issues will, uh, you know, will be very relevant,
0: and there's a lot of unknowns at the moment, but they're very important to Australia. Donald Trump's behaviour is rather unorthodox for a president. And his treatment of the media is raising some eyebrows. Go ahead, President. Go ahead. 11, since you are attacking our news organization, can you give us a chance? You are attacking our news organization. Can you give us a chance to go. ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, can you, not give you can, a can, you stay, can you stay categorically? You are fake news. Sir, can you stay categorically? I asked Mr. Stewart if he's concerned about what Donald Trump's presidency will mean for press freedom.
2: All presidents uh, clash with the media. Trump is. Crashing in a far more overt and aggressive way than we've seen in the past. But I mean, um, you know, Nixon clashed with the media over the Watergate scandal as well. I mean, it's not it's not unheard of. Um, I think the the institutions of press freedom in America are pretty robust, and I think that he would be in very dangerous territory to really try to seriously impinge on that. Um, look, I think that we've we've already seen the situation has been set for a very very fiery time between. Uh, Trump and the media. You know, there's, a, there's obviously a large section of the media that's that quite hostile to Trump. and um, But the other section of the media, I think, is um, is just simply uh, doing fact-checking and, and calling him out, uh, him out on some of the things that he's been saying. He clearly doesn't like that sort of scrutiny, and so I don't really see that the relationship between Trump and the media is going to calm down or find much of an equilibrium. I think we're going to be looking at a very pitch battle for, for the next four years.
0: Coming up on Press Play, what does it mean for the Australian's brand when it doesn't just break the news but becomes the news?
1: We want to inform our audience on our views and we will do that uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, But you know, frankly, sometimes we're getting coverage we don't seek out.
0: Last year, The Australian published a controversial cartoon by Bill Leake. The cartoon depicted a beer-drinking Aboriginal unable to remember his son's name when asked by a police officer to talk to him about personal responsibility. The cartoon attracted some pretty heated responses. Now, The Australian strongly defended Leak's cartoon, saying it highlighted the root cause of how Aboriginal children end up in juvenile detention. It also defended its right to publish the cartoon as a matter of free speech. The Australian Press Council and a number of senior journalists also supported the idea that the work shouldn't be censored even if they personally felt uneasy about the cartoon. There's no doubt the cartoon was controversial and it did gain a significant amount of media attention. So, where does this leave the Australian? Is this type of attention something Australian actively seeks out or even enjoys? Here's Mr Grey again.
1: Um, I don't think so. I think... I think we believe, once we have an editorial opinion, we will argue it forcefully and persistently. So, um, you know, in in that sense, we want to inform our audience on our views and we will do that uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, But, you know, frankly, sometimes we're getting coverage we don't seek out. Um, If you are referring to the recent leak, 18C matter, that, um, you know, our, our editor in chief published that cartoon, we didn't seek the um the imbroglio that followed um and would have preferred not to have received the the letter from the hrc so uh, i wouldn't say we seek it out in particular
0: but what does it mean for the you know the australian's brand because obviously it created a conversation uh you know uh, quite heated both positive and negative and you've subsequently uh launched a big campaign uh, about 18C. I mean, and what does it really mean for the Australians brand, even if you don't seek it out?
1: Well, from our point of view, it's about the issue. The, you know, the issue is freedom of speech. Should that should that law exist and should it be enforced in the way it is? Um, you know, once that issue is on the table, um, we will argue our case forcefully and, and that will you know, frankly, probably attract some readers and dissuade a couple of others. You know, our audience numbers are good at the moment, so I think it's more of the former than the latter. But they have to be aligned to issues that our editors believe in. We're not we're not going to pick fights for the sake of it. There's there's no point in that. It needs to be aligned to our values. Now. Um
0: everyone seems to be talking about
1: mobile nowadays uh, a lot of people have high hopes
0: for the platform as the future the uh, future place for news media mm. um where do you see the commercial opportunities in mobile
1: so at the moment it's the fastest growing part of the the ecosystem mobile web is is growing more rapidly than desktop it's growing more rapidly than apps so it's very important you know there are two primary ways to um, Uh, commercialize your uh, our audience one is by um, getting them to pay for content and the other is by selling advertising around them I think it's fair to say that in mobile both of those things have been harder than desktop because there's less room to communicate the value of um, people paying for content people's sessions are shorter and the ad formats are smaller so there's a lot of work that has been done to improve those experiences such that even with a smaller screen you can still um, drive good subscription conversion and good advertising outcomes and look if I'm honest we we particular and the market in general are still behind desktop in commercializing mobile but it's a massive focus area because of the growth.
0: I mean it's kind of like social media in a way. There's a huge, a lot of audience and interest in it, but whether or not there's a, a commercial case for it is, I guess the jury's out on that. Is, is there a strong case for mobile at this point?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the case is that's where the audience is. So so more than half of the um, uh, sessions with our site now are on mobile. We're not alone there. So, um, you know, the, the long-term trends in media, where the, where the audience goes, eventually the money goes, um, both people buying content and also advertising um, around it. What everybody has learned is that the same things that work on website don't always work on mobile, and, and so there's a lot of effort in refining the experiences to make them work better. But the size of the audience means you know, there is value there.
0: On social media, do you see it as much of a threat to news media in the medium and long term, even though it's uh, quite beneficial in the short term?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's already had a massive impact. If you look at Facebook's in particular, um, Facebook's audience growth and revenue growth, clearly they've taken share of audience and share of ad dollars away from all traditional media. So it's already a, a threat. What we're seeing now is that the Facebook's and Google's and Apple's from very strong positions that they already hold, hold they still need to grow their time spent with their products they realise that they've got to have great news services to do that. And so we're seeing more willingness from them to, to work with us to help us drive subscriptions through their platforms. Um, so, you know, they, they we're threatened by them, but in other ways they want to be our partners. So it's a it's a constantly evolving um, dynamic, and there's no doubt that they're threats, but there's no doubt there are caref- if you're careful about it, there are opportunities to work with them as well.
0: The Australian is now the last daily broadsheet newspaper in Australia. Over the past couple of years, newspapers all around the world have been shifting to smaller page sizes. So, will The Australian follow suit? Will it remain a broadsheet forever?
1: That's the plan. (laughs) We, um, you know, we find the broadsheet differentiates us. There's more higher article counts per page. People can immerse, immerse more in the content. And the advertising... Um, spaces are bigger and therefore more valuable. So, we have no plans to change it at at this stage.
0: I mean some people see the shift to a compact or a tabloid format as something that signals a a decline in in quality. I mean, today does the size of a page really matter for a paper?
1: Well I think if you look at recent case studies, uh, about a decade ago the Courier Mail and some of the UK papers went compact and got a big up uplift from it. A couple of years ago, the Herald and Age went compact and didn't. And I think that, for me, that was a, an insight into, um, in, in the fragmented landscape we live in, that, that you know, this idea that by changing your shape, you could drive a lot more sales for commuters, etc. I think that argument was probably stronger a decade ago than it is now. And you give away ad dollars. Advertisers won't pay as much for a tabloid full page as they will for a broadsheet full page so look um you know who knows what the future brings i think one is it's dangerous to say anything is forever but but we certainly have no plans to change
0: press play has been brought to you by news media works you can catch up on previous episodes or subscribe to this podcast on itunes soundcloud stitcher or by visiting newsmediaworks.com.au slash press play. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so leave us a review on iTunes, or send News Media Works a message on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Lachlan Bennett. Thanks for listening.